You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn, and today we have a great conversation with Pastor Andy Parker of the Ridge Church in Michigan. Andy, like so many pastors across the country, has seen that his church has actually grown as he's taken a stand on so many of the controversial issues happening in the church over the last year. So in this episode, we're going to talk with Andy, and I hope it's a huge encouragement to you to be tender, but to have a spine of steel as you approach the adversity that's coming to the church in the coming year. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. We have Pastor Andy Parker of the Ridge Church. Andy, your church is outside Grand Rapids. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Absolutely. It's good to be with you. So, Andy, I, I want to start uh, by just letting our listeners get to know a little bit about you and your church situation. This year, for a lot of pastors, has been a very interesting year. We were just talking offline about this, how so often people looked at the last year and they said, wow, that was a really bad year for the church. It's a bad year to be a Christian. But you guys have seen something different. And so I wonder if you would just start with maybe this time last year when we were, you remember, just two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah. And here we are a year later. What, what happened in your church kind of from that moment? What happened? <laughs> I guess I backtrack a, a little bit just to kind of how, how we got to where we're at at the Ridge. So we planted about 10 years ago, but before that, when I was in seminary, I did my um, THM thesis on Christianity and liberalism about 15 years ago. And I was applying, like at the time, everybody was talking about the emergent church, and that was a big deal. And postmodern philosophy, these were, it, it, those terms had just started, yeah. they, they became mainstream, right? So um, I wrote my thesis applying Machen's principles that, that, that he refuted modernity to postmodernity. And I said, it's, um, even though it's a it's a different bird, it's the same beast, right? It's essentially the right. same thing, and all of his principles still apply. And that uh, progressive Christianity is is not really Christianity, right? So, and I said, you know, 15 years from now, nobody's going to be talking about the emergent church or any of those things. But all of this postmodern philosophy will have made its way into the church through culture. Um, what I didn't anticipate at the time was the, the connection between Marxism and postmodernity. All these guys were commies, right? And I, I didn't, I didn't make that connection. I didn't see how those two connected, so I didn't see that coming. But looking back on it, it's 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 crystal clear. So this was stuff that I had been immersed in, and I cut my teeth in in seminary on guys like Bonson and Van Til, and it just uh, that's my team. So um, so I was kind of immersed in this this. Um, Christianity that's in the marketplace. And then when we um, planted the ridge, we planted the ridge right before Obama won his second term. So <laughs> we were kind of in the thick of it and it felt there was just kind of like this foreboding in the air. It just, yeah. you know, you knew things were going to change. And um, so so when we started, I mean, it's a small country church, very, very, very small. The things that I have been teaching on now I've been teaching on for, for 10 years, right? So, so nothing in my, my teaching has really changed over the past 10 years. And, um, it's been, it's been a go man for, for 10 years, just ups and downs and still remaining small, expanding and contracting, but really being right around 30 people. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah, that, 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 that comes with hardship and a lot of, 
a lot of soul searching and you know, you get to the point where you just feel so beat up. And I remember um, somebody asking me, you know, like, why don't you, why don't you take this as a sign and you could go to greener pastures or just go to greener pastures. And I, I said, well, you know, I've taught on the perseverance of the saints. That's a doctrine that is, that's, you learn that one in the school of hard knocks, right? And, and my wife is with me in this. My children are with me in this. They've heard everything that I've taught. There's people there. It wasn't a huge church, but still souls to love and to serve and to um, fellowship with and, and to teach and encourage, exhort, reprove, train in righteousness. So if, if I leave, I feel like I, I, I would be backtracking on everything that I've taught. So it just, it, and, and in God's grace, I think he used all of these things over the past nine years to kind of prep me for, for COVID. When COVID hit, it didn't seem abnormal. <laughs> right when when um, churches were shutting down left and right in Michigan, I, and and releasing their their media statements, which sounded exactly like worldly media statements, they were all the same. I think they all have the same marketing department, right? So <laughs> yeah, um, so it was just embarrassing. So when when that happened, we said, no, we're not going to shut down. This is you don't have the right to tell us when, where, and how to worship. We'll listen to the advice that you give, but this is our sphere of authority. It's it's not yours. We're we're not going to shut down. And if this is nearly as serious as they were telling us at the time, which we questioned, we thought if, if any place needs to be open, it's the church. And if I'm the only one there, I will be there and I will minister to anybody that comes in. I, I don't care. And honestly, at the time, we thought it's probably going to be the end of our church, but I'm going to I'm going to come back with my shielder on it type thing. I'm, I'm not going out without a fight. So we started, my, my, my son and I, we started putting videos together is as early as week one, kind of responding to these things, saying none, none of this passes the smell test, guys, right? And if when they start defining everything as a public health, we should be very nervous because there's nothing that doesn't fit under that umbrella, right? They, they can regulate anything in our church at that point. And um, it just seemed very, very unhealthy. So we started putting some videos out there. And, and at that point in time, right, we have 30 people in our church and about 15 stayed home because they didn't know what was going on. So then by God's grace, he supplemented that with, we were, we still ranged around 30 people because we'd have 15 visitors come in, you know, so interesting. Um, even in that, God is good. So we were thankful. We were happy to be alive and we were putting content out there that we felt like it needed to be said. We made it through last Easter. I remember telling my wife and Easter, I think it was about four weeks in. And I remember telling my wife, there's no way you're going to keep God's people from worshiping. On, on Resurrection Sunday, there's no way, right? We serve a God who raises the dead. We shouldn't be afraid of a cold type thing. Like how how contradictory is that? Like, yeah, exactly. It just it just made no sense at all. So um, so I was amped up for Easter because I'm like, there's there's no way any, anybody's going to stay closed. There were only a few churches that I know of that were open. Everybody just was silent. So so um, at about that time, right, four weeks in, uh, six weeks in. The only thing we were taking was was heat. People were, right. I, I mean, probably thousands of messages telling me I'm going to kill their grandmother and what a horrible human being I was. People were calling the cops on us and uh, they, professing Christians, right? Oh, I, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to do the right thing. And what you're doing is the wrong thing. Um, you're, you're not being like Jesus now by having your church open and worshiping him, right? Like That's literally. That's so crazy. So we had to have those conversations every single um, every single Saturday night. And then at about like eight weeks in, one Sunday, the, our attendance went from like just under 30 to 64 people 
on one wow. Sunday, just out of nowhere. Just doubles. The video, yeah, just doubled. The, the videos that we had recorded, um, this, is, this is the irony. So this is, this is, this is amazing. So um, everybody was locked in their homes watching church online, right, in Michigan and in Grand Rapids. As they're watching church online, they're surfing the net, and they found our videos. And all of a sudden, our videos that, that were on our YouTube page, the views started to blow up with it like the week before that. Yeah, so we went from like 64 to then 90 to then. So within the, a year, we've gone from under 30 to a, over 130. Yeah, dude, it's crazy too, because the first thing I think about is Genesis fifty twenty, right? The things that you intended for evil, God meant for good. So that's really been, I think, a huge thing for people to be encouraged about this year. As you said, there's this, this great unveiling. But at the same time, it's, it really just intrigued me because, you know, I, when I heard the story about your church, it made me think about this podcast. I started, I got furloughed uh, for three months. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do with my time? Like, I have, to, I have to redeem the time. I have to be faithful. So I'm like, well, I'm not pastoring at the moment. So I'm just going to put this into a podcast and put it out there. And it's, it's really interesting because I want to get your take on this. There was really two tracks that people could take, particularly in evangelical circles. One was, we're going to keep our heads down. We're going to be like Russ Moore, and we're going to talk about finger painting. And, you know, oh, you know, this is the Asian literature that I prefer on an esoteric Sunday evening. And it's like, okay, tone deaf, you know. So that was one response. We're going to love our neighbor, and we're going to put the mask on. But in my mind, I was just thinking, okay, no. I'm going to lean directly into this. I am going to go to the heat of the battle, to the hottest part of the fighting, and I'm just going to plant my flag there. And it, in my mind, it wasn't because I thought there was going to be a following. But and this is what I want to ask you, because you were talking about this before. I pastored for three years, kind of in obscurity, and you deal with things like, basically, you could preach your heart out, you know? And then, like, at the end of the sermon, uh, an old lady or a visitor would be like, well, you were two minutes over your time. And that's all people would say to you, right? And I look back now, and I'm super grateful for it because it was like, I think God was hardening me. Mm -hmm. And he was making me be like, look, you cannot care what people think. You cannot operate your church based on what people think about you. So I wonder if you saw that happening in your own situation. And was there, like, a moment where you said, no, I mean, we just need to lean in? Yeah. Yeah. For uh, day one. <laughs> right. So, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think I posted something on social media that said we are like the, um, I remember it Friday afternoon because we had an event at the church and um, we were expecting a big turnout. We started getting emails very early in the morning and uh, people saying that they, they weren't going to be able to make it because they were scared and schools were shutting down and all of these things were happening. We go online and churches have all of their statements being released and so I went online. I said, we are not going to close. We're going to be open Sunday uh, like we have every Sunday before that. We're going to worship our risen king. And um, right, we're, we are not going to shut down. And all of these other churches are being led by cowards. If you want to come worship with us, you can come worship with us. But we, we are, we're not going to shut down. So from day one, I mean, we, we put our flag in the, in the ground and we drew a line and we said, this is, this is where we're going to stand. And, you know, e even if we couldn't articulate everything then the way we can now after a year of reflecting upon this we knew it didn't pass the smell test and we we so so we we, we went into it with um 
a, uh, a theology, right? A correct theology. We went into it with a proper anthropology and we went into it with a thorough understanding of Romans 13 before we had to understand Romans 13. So um, it, w- it was easy for us to take that stand. And, and like I said, I, we, we thought it was going to be the end of us, but I figured I'm going out on my shield and we'll see how this, this pans out. And um, by God's grace, he's continued to bless us. I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hydrant now because his blessings are just so overwhelming. Yeah, that's so awesome. It seems like, and this is something you just mentioned, but I've thought a lot about this. The, the guys who, for the last 20 years in ministry and in the church, and, and even people just going to church, I feel like for a lot of Christendom, there's sort of been this like theological minimalism. In fact, when I used to work campus ministry, like mid-2000s, uh, people would always say, well, what's the least amount of information I could get someone to know before they could be saved? And I would always think, why are we focusing on the least amount of information? But you really see that bearing out in a situation like last year, you know, and on the flip side, like you're coming into it with a theologically maximal position saying, you know, I want theology to come out of my fingertips. I want to think through every area of life all the time. I think if you were in that mindset, you know, you were more prepared to deal with this issue. Like you said, for a lot of people, uh, our church here was the same deal. Our pastor had come from Sacramento. Um, they've been fighting the tyranny for like 20 years there. So the minute this thing dropped, they were like, yeah, no, we're not doing any of this. And it was because c- they had been, you know, they had been prepared for a moment like this. So I'm curious, pastorally, one of the unique things you've been able to do, and I watched a bunch of your YouTube videos. They're super awesome. We'll give people a link. What a great opportunity for you to to teach your people this year. Like, what does the Bible say about Romans 13? What does the Bible say about any host of issues? So I'm curious how that's been from a pastoral standpoint. Have you seen your people growing in their understanding of certain key texts? Oh, exponentially. It's been, it's been wonderful. There's a hunger at the ridge like I've never seen. So it's, I mean, I'm in hog heaven as a pastor, right? Because yeah. that's what you long for. So there, there is truly a hunger. What was interesting is when, when COVID hit, um, the people that wanted to lean in, like you and I were just talking about, they, like we sensed the opportunity, we sensed God's calling, and yeah. we said, if, even if nobody stands with us, we're going to stand. And then by God's grace, he brought people alongside of us and to us, and um, he is, he's just so good. Even when we struggle and we face trials, God is God is good, and he's, he's making us into the men that he wants us to be. But um, men were a part of these churches for, for a long time where they thought, eh, it's it's okay. There's, there's things that I like about it, things I don't, you know, they, they didn't know that there was anything else available. So they were comfortable where they were at. And when um, trial hits and, and people are forced to pee or get off the pot, they realize that like gay Reverend Helen probably wasn't the person to follow, <laughs> right? Or like um, Big Eva, like you mentioned, Russell Moore and all of these guys and um, you know, most of them sit down to pee and have manginas and you're like, yeah. these are not guys I want to follow this. I mean, if, if things are really going to hit the fan, I need to find like-minded brothers. And what's happened is I feel like, um, the Ridge has kind of become this, this refuge for the cream of the crop from all of these other churches where people were legitimately hungry and not being fed. And they, they've come to the Ridge. They, they've found, um, a safe haven and a refuge and, um, they're hungry. So it's created this really interesting dynamic where we have a lot of different tribes 
coming together, which under normal circumstances a year ago, you would say, dude, that's a stick of dynamite. You're going to blow your hand off. You can't get bring all these divergent groups of people together and expect them to get along. They're, they're, you know, you'll kill, you'll kill each other. And um, it's just been amazing. There's a hunger there. So um, I think it's, it's like I said, I don't know if we we're um, off the air, we were talking about just how God is bringing a reckoning to his church. And he, he, he's just through COVID, he's made things clear. There, there are brothers that are leaning in. There are people that are running away from the fray. And to be still running away after a year, you go, I, this is, this is, this isn't good. <laughs> this is a really, really um, bad thing if you're still running from the fellowship at this point in time. It's something somebody's got to intercede, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think one of the videos, uh, I think it's at the top um, that you've got on your YouTube page is, and I just love this, you say that we're a refuge for godly troublemakers. And immediately when you said it, I was like, and I listened to the video, I'm like, oh, he's going to get in trouble. And I love it. One of the things we've talked about in this show, um, and you and I were talking again about this off air, but you know, I did an uh, episode on polarization. It was awesome. It was awesome. I I'll, shameless plug for you. Everybody should go listen to it twice. It's so good. Absolutely. I'll be. I'm on board with that. I endorse this message. Um, but one of the things that I, I was realizing, and it's exactly what you were hitting upon in this video. I just think it's phenomenal. Is like, don't play the I want to keep my head down game. Be the lightning rod, and people will come. And and what's interesting about it. Andy, is that the kind of growth that came, like exactly what you were talking about. I've seen pastorally in the past, like another church shuts down, they got in a fight, it was a nasty situation, and you'll have people come to your church, and it's like, like half of these people are like, it's kind of a dumpster fire, you know? But what's crazy is if you're willing to be polarizing on the matters of truth and scripture, and, and it be at the front of the cultural battle, you'll actually attract people who are like hungry disciples. And this is what you actually want. So that's a totally different dynamic, right? Than, you know, having people who are like, oh yeah, I just, I didn't like the music. So we switched churches. Here we are. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's predicated this consumeristic, soft um, Christianity, that whole mentality. And honestly, like we're not trying to be polarizing like i don't wake up in the morning like oh how can i be polarizing right the the truth is going to be polarizing uh, to deceitful people to people who want to predicate falsehood and i i think you know like the 11th commandment thou shalt be nice we're so afraid of offending anybody because if people get offended then then they'll think that we don't love jesus and it's it's insane we are born into war like we are, we're born into a spiritual war by, by uh, the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. He puts us on the right team, but that doesn't mean that we stop fighting. That doesn't mean that we're not still engaged in battle every single day. War, war is our birthright. War is our, our burden and our blessing. So, um, it's just, it's, you're not trying to be polarizing. You're just simply acknowledging that, that we are in a fight. We're not picking one. We're, we're in one. And because we're in one, it's our obligation and our duty to be ambassadors of Christ and to share the truth, right? So we're not, this is one thing that's come up over the past year that is just crazy. Like you said, I'm a, I'm a mass, murder, mass murderer and um, a, a, a maniac type thing. And you're going to kill grandma and you shouldn't talk about any of those things. You should just simply talk about the gospel proper and um, and let the, the public sphere take care of itself and those types of things. Well, Jesus says that we are, we're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, 
He doesn't right. say blessed are those who are, who are persecuted for simply sharing the gospel proper. Now, truth and righteousness overflow from somebody who has received the gospel proper, but it, the gospel does something. It goes somewhere. It builds. It, it, it refines. It chips away. It, it um, affects every area of life, every sphere of governance. So, um, yeah, we, we're, we're born into conflict. So we don't, we don't go looking for it. We don't want it. We're actually resolving it by speaking the truth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think that's huge. I mean, what I tell people too is, uh, I've had people say to me in the past, like, oh, you're so polarizing. I'm like, listen, all you have to do today is be like, men and women are different. And people are like, oh my, you know. I wanted to get a billboard that said, it said the ridge, where God is feared, where men are still men, women are still women, and Jesus is Lord, right? We can't, we can't find anybody to pick it up because every billboard company has said, look, we can't touch that with a 10-foot pole because um, multiple companies have said no because they're, they're afraid to do it because they're going to take too much blowback. They, 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 they won't publicly say men are men and women are women. It's insane. It's insane. It's presupposed in the premise of the statement, right? Like, I mean, and this, this, that's what I mean. Like, we're at that place where you really don't have to say even outlandish things to be polarizing. But I think what you do have to do is you have to look at what the issues are. So Rich Lust said this in a recent episode, and I found it very helpful, but he just said, Listen, the problem is we, we can talk about the ways in which men and women, for example, are both equal in worth before God. But that's not really what we mostly need to be talking about because that's not the issue. The issue is gender difference. And so we're going to have to go there. Um, and, and on those things, it's like when I waded into the gender discussion, my number one conviction was I just want to say whatever's clear in the text. I don't want to go beyond it. I don't want to... You know, every man must work on a tractor and it must be a John Deere, not a, you know, not an international harvester. I don't want to go to those areas. I just want to hit on the things that are clear from scripture. And if you just do that, uh, people are going to, some people will lose their minds, but other people will rally. And I'd rather have kind of that, that either or response. Oh, 100%. At least you know where you're at, right? You know who your enemies are. You know who your, 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 um, co-combatants are your, your, your co-belligerents and your fellow soldiers are. So I would much rather know who's going to, who's trying to snipe me than I would just pretend like everything's okay. That's, that's another interesting question because it comes to the leadership. Obviously you put soldiers on the ground, people in your churches, we've gotten to find out who people are, who other pastors in our communities are, et cetera. But I, I want to ask you if you've seen this, but I'm, I'm guessing you have just as you look at the leadership so even yeah, every day I go on Twitter and I can, you know, today is a good example. Ray Ortland's on Twitter and he's like, I rejoice in the fact that the Bible Belt is dying and that type of Christianity needs to go away. By the way, let's celebrate Lecrae and let's, you know, all the woke people, all this nonsense. So I feel like in the last year, right, you have to have seen that, like, we kind of know who's not on our team anymore in leadership. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think these these huge networks who have been um, taking money from questionable sources for a very long oh, time, yeah. and then we wonder why they're moving progressive. It's like, well, they've, they've been leaning that <laughs> way for a while. I mean, honestly. Could have called that shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they're, they're pandering to the extreme, and it's just gross. Like, you can see it. It's like you're, you're pandering. I see what you're doing. It's gross. And now I have to go take a shower because I feel <laughs> filthy because I listened to anything that you had to say. Yeah, it's, it's just slimy. And I think... Um, guys listen to those 
people because they have a platform. And I think guys are coming to the conclusion where they're going, okay, I don't think I can listen to you anymore because you're a pansy ass and it just doesn't make me feel comfortable. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I think that's totally, it's totally legit. I mean, there were so many, and, and I, I found this in a rural church, especially because I went to seminary and like, I was kind of familiar with the whole, like the, you know, together for the gospel crowd, those, those preachers. And I remember sharing it, sharing it with some of the guys in our church who are like ranchers. And like one guy was like, I don't know, that guy seems kind of fruity to me. And just because, yeah, the, the hands and the gesturing and the 17 hyphenated words in a row and all that stuff. And especially in the rural places, it was like, wow, this really is quite unmanly. This is not a good thing. I, I want to ask you, Andy, because people might, you know, misunderstand kind of where we're going or what you were talking about in your video. But how would you define a godly troublemaker? I think a godly troublemaker is somebody who is who fears God and is willing to share the gospel proper and all that flows from it um, in, in the marketplace of ideas, right? They, this theology is not something that's isolated to a particular building. It's funny, all of these people over the past year that were crying, you know, church isn't a building, we need to worship online, and all of this stuff have no idea how to bring their theology out of their out of their head or in their case out of their out of their heart right it just it doesn't it it doesn't go any further than that so a godly troublemaker is somebody who's willing to enter every sphere of life and share not just the 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 gospel proper the death burial resurrection of jesus and call sinners to faith and repentance in christ and just declare everything that's contained therein which is wonderful and marvelous but also so so we are to be able to um give instruction in the scriptures but also to rebuke those who contradict it so that there's always the, the door is always swinging both ways for us where, yes, we're declaring truth and we're proclaiming righteousness and striving for it ourselves. But we're also calling out falsehood and rebuking wickedness where, wherever we see it. Right. So like we've just talked about it a little bit within the church. We're like, this is this isn't right. Right. We need to we need to call this out. God's people are not going to be fed by this. They're not going to be strengthened by this. And it's going to have a generational corrosional effect. Um, so we call it out in the church. We, you know, we, we, judgment begins in the household of God. So we, we correct our own first, or at least those who bear the same name as us, as we would a, as a brother in our own home, right? We're going to, we're going to say, look, this isn't, this isn't right. And then we do it in the public sphere too. So we don't see godly troublemaking as like, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a catchy term. I love it. And, um, because it's so true, but we're not, we're not troublemakers in the traditional sense. Right. So we're, we're, we're troublemakers because of the world in which we live in, which is um, just marred in, in corruption. Yeah, I think that's really helpful and a helpful clarification. One of the things I want to ask you, too. So you guys are in Michigan. Um, you have uh, gracious Governor Whitmer. Oh, we call it. We call her Whit Whitler. We call her Whitler. So <laughs> Whitler. I, I, I give you. I give you. We call her some other things too, but that's that's one that I could probably share. So I give you permission to 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 call her that. I love it. Thank you very much. Um, you you think about your context. Um, a lot of people would think, well, you know, we're in Illinois or we're in California or we're in a context where it's just it's too hostile. We can't push back. Um, what would you say to those people? And then kind of dovetailing into that like I, I'm just curious what your experience in reaction from the state has kind of been 
Um, well, as far as our immediate context, we haven't experienced much, to be entirely honest with you. We've been left alone, and it's not for, for lack of me trying, right? So <laughs> I've been about as public as you can be, and um, it's upset a lot of people. But the, the um, so far, God has been very good to us, and we haven't had to deal with that. So I've been preaching freely and frequently, and um, that, the, the message has not changed and will not change, right? Our flag's there, and we're going to... We're gonna, uh, come back with their shields or, or on them, right? So um, so we haven't experienced much of that and is is nasty as is, is Whitler is and is is arbitrary and hypocritical as a lot of the decrees that she is that she has written are, like as far as being able to buy pot, but you can't buy tomato seeds and um, it's just so arbitrary. You can get an abortion but you can't get a cancer screening. Like it's just nuts the things that she is She's done. Yeah, she. I mean, people forget she's plumped just as many people in nursing homes as Cuomo did. She just doesn't have the platform that he does. So people have kind of over overlooked a lot of that. But she's a nasty, nasty woman, and so is her little Lesbo AG that enforce all <laughs> all of her edicts. Right? She's just. Yeah. She's just. She's just a, a gnarly woman. So um. I, so there's not a lot of love lost there. But she has left churches alone. Michigan is really kind of a weird state where there's. Um, it's almost divided right down the center. You have a lot of progressives in in the toilet bowl known as as Detroit, and um, but there are a lot of conservatives um, through, throughout the rest of the state. There's a pretty big grassroots movement in 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 Michigan. So um, and she's got to get reelected in in two years, and she's a very controversial person. So playing the Trudeau card might not be wise in Michigan. And so I, I think what she would do is what she's done is she's gone after Christian schools through the health department. Like she hasn't done that. So she hasn't done that specifically. So, but she's using other governmental agencies to kind of attack. I know the Christian schools have felt the pressure way more than what, way more than what we have, which is a shame because it shows you that if all, if all of these other churches would have not closed, they probably would have been okay. And especially if we stuck together, it, it would have been fine. It actually would have sent a clear message echoing throughout the rest of the state. Maybe our country will never know. But so, so it is kind of, kind of an interesting dynamic here in Michigan. Um, as far as like the rest of the country and people saying I'm, I'm in, a, in, in an area where it's just, it's, the, the pressure's too much. I would say that means you have to, that means you need to get on it, right? You need, it's never too late to saddle up, get out there. That means that now is the time to resist. I mean, look at California and um, what happened with MacArthur, right? He was, he was not on the front end of this. It took him a little while to get, to get in the game. But when he got in, everyone was like, boy, amen. How can we, how can we pray for you? How can we support you? And his church, which was already a mega church, continued to grow. I, I would just encourage them to get in the fight I, um, you, you, and, and to go on offense, right? Think through these things differently. Like we are in the middle of a fight. Like think that way, right? So, so what, we have, what we talk about is, um, you know, if, if there's an, an injustice, if, if people come outside of our church, if they're, if they're just being nasty or these authorities come, the people from the health department come or the police come, pull out your phone and record it. Not because we want to fight the way that they fight, but we, because we want to reveal them. The truth is revealing, so we want to expose what they're doing to peaceable, God-fearing, God-loving people. Like, we're not doing anything wrong. We just want to worship our Lord and Savior. And the, 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 the troubling thing is with this is that the, the, um, these wicked rulers, these secularists, they understand far better than most Christians that worship is warfare. And they're trying to take away our greatest weapon from us. And, and we, we can't allow that to happen. 
I mean, it's kind of a shame that, you know, that we're looking to the Canadians and going, wow, you guys are awesome. Like the Canadians now have bigger balls than the Americans. Like something is cataclysmically wrong with our world. Yeah, I think it's huge. And I, I think it's like you said, and you know, your area, you've got a lot of mega churches. A lot of them are 5,000 plus. I, I almost think I, I've just recently been rereading George Orwell's 1984. And so much of what was going on was, it was not that they were actually watching you all the time. It's that you thought they were. And so people are, people have this just deep ingrained statism that we don't even realize that we have. And I mean, I'm thinking of our area. On the way to our church, there's probably 10 churches that we drive by that have, they're still in Zoom services. And if they are meeting, it's like there's, it's a pretty big church and there's 10 cars in the parking lot. So they're not really fully meeting at all in full capacity. But what kills me is we've met live the entire time and nobody has said boo. And we even had this discussion like with people in the church where people were like, what if this, what if the health department comes? And one guy was like, so we shut the doors and we don't let them in. What are they going to do? And the thing is, we also, throughout this process, we knew guys in the police department and the sheriff's department, and all you had to do was go talk to those guys, like talk to your local sheriff. And the sheriff was like, we're not coming to break up gatherings of 10. We can't even stop crime. Are you guys crazy? What killed me, though, is, is the churches were hunkering in fear when there was n not even any pressure to do so. Um, there was, like, the TV pressure, like, you know, our sodomite governor said that you shouldn't meet. Well, I'm sorry. When do we listen to a sodomite governor about the worship of God? I don't think we do, ever. So, and, and this kind of gets to something else, too, is um, there's been a lot of talk. I want to ask you about this. There's been a lot of talk about this being the year of great migration. And it already is. Like, people are jumping ships, especially if you're in California or New York, places like this. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. We're in Colorado. People go, oh my gosh, Colorado is a blue state. You guys are crazy. You know, your governor's a sodomite. You have a first man in the, in the office, et cetera. The, the difference though, and I want to get your take on this. The difference is I've lived in Illinois and I've lived in Colorado. And the thing that people do not realize, Chicago is blue. Illinois is not blue. And I think it's much the same in Michigan. Denver is blue, and Boulder is blue, and Aspen is blue. But Colorado is a very pro-Second Amendment red state. I'm thinking that while some people are going to move, some of us just really like what you're doing. Like, we also just need to dig in and fight. And you can't just give away every state and say, well, the, you know, the blue can have it. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think if... Um... You know, somebody's convicted to leave like California and New York. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to point fingers at them. But I, I feel like, like Michigan, like you were talking about with Colorado, I think, I, 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 I don't know. I, except for this last election when the entire country went blue and there were, there were more votes than there were voters. Um, for the most part, and I think, yeah, I think Michigan um, could go the other way. I, so I'm pleading with people to migrate here. It's a, it's a beautiful state. There's a lot of good people that, um, that, that I love dearly, and I, I, I'd love to see them come to Michigan and, and help out because I feel like we, we could go the other way. I feel like this is, this is one of those places where you have to fight. Like, like, with, like you said, Colorado, it's, it's a place where you go, okay, there's, there's a couple big cities that are distinctively like overly blue, like they're so blue, they're purple now. 
Um, um, but um, I, I, yeah, I think Michigan is the same way. I think it, I think it could be pushed in the other direction. If you have somebody that could stand up and clearly articulate conservative principles, at least politically conservative principles, and be willing to take all the fire and not give a damn and just say, no, I, I'm going to stand up to it and, and to point to draw all of that out. Like, like with our governor, like you can't like, you're toting the strength of, of women, like you're this feminazi, but then at the same time, anytime anybody criticizes you, you're a victim. It's like you can't, you can't, you cannot have it both ways. So I think if somebody could stand up and just cut straight, right, just cut straight right through it, I think, um, I think you could sway a lot of people who have been quiet. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really huge. Uh, Orwell talks about this too, but sort of the uh, the double speak, the double think, and the way you cut through it is just. Tell the truth, the plain, simple, obvious, cow goes moo type truth, and it's amazing what can happen. But you guys have, I mean, there's a lot of reformed, you know, that area, Dutch reform, that sort of thing. My question is, I, I almost feel like, do these people not remember what the Reformation was about? Like, because a lot of those are, churches are closed, right? Uh, yeah, the vast majority of them are. Yeah, that, that's what's been the most concerning because of the history Right. I mean, the, the, the Puritan movement, the Scottish Covenanters, I mean, that's 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 our team. Right. So th those there's a rich tradition of, of robust political theology coming out of the Puritans and coming out of the coming out of the reformers. So that, that yeah, like I said, there's this veneer of Christianity that kind of permeates the land. But as far as um, it being lived out it, it being very experiential and it being in the marketplace it seems like everyone's kind of content to have their little pockets and they don't want those to be disturbed i think what's what's um like caiaphas's words it's far better that one man should die than the nation should perish right so we need to partner with rome type thing these are just um necessary evils or they're, they're unpleasantries for a time but let's not let's not make things harder for ourselves than we have to and there's, there's a lot of schools, right? There are a lot of Christian schools in particularly in Grand Rapids and seminaries that, have t that, that are taking a lot of pressure and those schools are connected with churches. So um, I just think there's, there's a, the fear of man is, is running deep. And like you said, people were, um, they were rolling over and showing their belly and pretty much peeing on themselves when there was no threat. Right. There's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. And they're like, oh, I, I better I can't go outside. So, yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, even thinking about that proverb. Who says there's a lion in the street, the sluggard? It's not the coward. It's the sluggard. So a lot of the situation, too, it's probably just laziness. I know Matt Truella gave me this number, but there was like billions of dollars that pastors in America had taken in PPP money to stay closed. Billions. And so it's like. Okay. Well, laziness, greed, it's just easier, you know, pushing back as hard. Yeah, not, not, none of it passes the smell test. I mean, um, so think about the early church, right? I was preaching about this on Sunday, and, and the, the early church being asked to pinch incense to Caesar. Like for us today, we look at that and we think, oh, I would never do that. Right. Or, but then in our own context, like what we're doing is the equivalent of saying, look, pinching incense to Caesar is not that really, it's not that big of a deal. And that's, that's the domain of the state. They're, they're not challenging the gospel 
proper. I, Caesar doesn't have any problem with me sharing the gospel. I'm still free to share the gospel. All I'm being asked to do is pinch a little incense. And if I don't pinch the incense, I'm going to end up killing my grandma. And there's all kinds of things that, that um, good things that can come from me pinching incense. If I don't pinch incense to Caesar, then I won't be able to share the gospel and nobody will be saved. Right. And, and the early church said, no, we can't do that because to pinch incense to Caesar was to say that Caesar was sovereign over the state. Right. Anywhere you went in the ancient world, you would pay tribute to the God who was sovereign over the area where you were going. Right. You're going on the sea. You pay tribute to Neptune. If you're going uh, on, on Roman land or in Roman property or Roman Colosseum or in a, anywhere near a Roman temple, you're going to pinch incense to pay tribute to Caesar. When you did that, you acknowledged that he was sovereign over the state. There are the Christians that we can't do that because Jesus is Lord over everything, including the state. No, that's absolutely right. It's interesting too, Andy. And you you mentioned this before. Um, as as you're preaching this kind of message, people are responding. You're seeing that a lot of people from different backgrounds are coming. So pastorally, I just want to know how that's been in your church. Um, how have you dealt with that? Have there been any unique challenges that have come because? Um, you know, maybe you got Presbyterians and Baptists are in the same roof. What do you do? <laughs> that's hilarious. That that's the example that you used because uh, that's exactly what we have right now, right? Um, but most most of our so I would be I, I'm kind of a peculiar bird. I don't really fit into any camp, which makes everybody in Grand Rapids uncomfortable, right? So I would I would be a 1689er, but I'm a post mill guy, right? So that doesn't that doesn't fit. I I would lean covenantal strong. You know, um, so again, that doesn't, it, it just doesn't fit. So uh, we're family integrated. <laughs> that makes people really uncomfortable. So we, we, there's, there's that component. So Baptists are kind of coming in from a traditional Baptist background and they're saying, I think you're like me, but you're not really. And then we have Presbyterian brothers coming in that are, we have 99 out of 100 things in common, but we differ on the baptism issue. So as, as um, brothers, we're, we're all kind of together in one roof going, okay, how do, how do we do this thing? Because it's, it's very unfortunate, right, to where you, you could go into, um, you go into a city and you're like, these are that, that, here's this tribe and here's this tribe. Well, um, I'm, I'm like a Reformed Baptist and I agree with 99 out of 100 things that the, that the Presbyterian church is saying. Right. I'm right there with them, but I end up at a Baptist church that I agree with like 25 percent of what they're teaching just because that's what I've been labeled as. So um, I, I think COVID is, has been really helpful in kind of weeding through some of those things. So um, we've, we've tried to be uh, very respectful and loving and responsible and bringing everybody to the table saying, OK, let's. Let's have the best of all of these arguments. Um, we still have a confession to lean on, but we want to be as, as respectful and humble as, as possible with all of these, these differing tribes. And um, I, I think it's been good. It's, it's not without tension, but my goodness gracious, I would, there, there are people at the Ridge that are, that are Presbyterian that, that I would go to war with and that I would much rather have by my side than 90% of the Baptists in, in our area. Right. So we jokingly call ourselves bacterians because we just kind of don't fit anywhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I think being a black sheep has been kind of helpful in my life because when something like this happens, I think people kind of found a home at the rich, even though we may differ on some issues. We've, we've all stepped back and said, OK, 
where's the hill we're all going to die on? And this, let's be honest regarding our cultural situation. Can, can we fight together now? Can we do this together? And then maybe by God's grace, if we get so bored that we start fighting with each other again, then, then we'll plant a few more churches, right? Let's, but but we're, we're just not there yet. We, we're looking at the, the landscape going, there's, there's a lot of battles to be fought. We want to do it together rather than apart. So um, yeah, we've worked through a lot of things and it's, it's been good. We're going to continue to do that. And it won't be without, it won't be without headaches and we'll experience tension and by God's grace, we'll work through it because he's a good God and we want to follow him. Yeah. It seems like that's been a, one of the big positives I think is as you have people coming together. Um, I know I was talking with some friends who are 1689 Baptists. I'm a CREC Presbyterian. And, and like you said, it's like, okay, our actual differences are so small, like time and mode of baptism. Okay, that's different. However, you know, I asked my friend Dan, I was like, well, what would you allow a Presbyterian to come to your church and worship, you know, in full capacity and all that stuff? And he's like, yeah. He goes, honestly, he said, I, I say this tongue in cheek, but in this cultural moment, I don't care. We've had people on the podcast too, where it's like, I've had guys call me and they're like, look, I'm, I'm church of Christ. I I'm with you on everything. Let's fight to the end. And it's like, okay, there are certain squabbles that you would have in the army camp when you're bored and now's not that time. And we all need every man we can get. So we're, we're fighting on the same team. Oh, absolutely. And, and to be entirely honest, when you, when you get together with brothers and you listen to the best of their arguments, like if I'm being responsible and humble before Christ, I have to listen to my brother's argument and go, okay, this is a, this is a very, he's articulating this clearly, right? I, I'm differing, but this is not unbiblical, right? He's right, it's an orthodox position. Exactly, a hundred percent. So, so we we acknowledge, um, we we acknowledge, and some people would say, "Whoa, you just, let's you you know you're you're not part of the team." And they would say, well, I haven't been part of your team, so I don't care, <laughs> right?" So, so we'll acknowledge those in the membership who have been um, baptized as infants. We'll, we welcome them to the table. Um, it's it's a beautiful thing. There's there's a um, I have a, a brother that I serve with, his family comes to the table, his children have been baptized as infants, they're all professing believers, they come to the table, they all come to the table together, it's a beautiful thing, I love them, and um, as far as what the table represents, I think, good heavens, why would I withhold communion from somebody who is just baptized differently from me like I, I can't I can't go there I can't do that so you know some people would would question my orthodoxy in, in, in that respect and I would say I don't care like I'm, so I, I, I so we're, we're, we're still working through these things like I said it's not without tension but my goodness it's a good tension if it brings us all further up and further in yeah I, I think that'll be important and speaking of trajectories one of the things I want to I want to ask you is this has been I feel like it's been a crazy year in some sense uh, most of the things we've seen so far, though, like it was, this is just me, right? But for like a month, it was crazy. And then it was like, all right, the same play is being run over and over and over again. I'm, this is stupid. Um, now, a year later, I'm like, this is, I'm so over this. I, I'm curious, though, as you look at your church, you look at the year ahead, you look at what's next. Obviously, God is not calling us to predict the future, but he is calling us to know the times. And he's calling us to be wise and prepare and all those sorts of things. What, what do you think is coming for the church? Do you think it's more of the same in terms of persecution? How should the church be preparing for this cultural moment? Yeah, I think it's, um, 
uh, well, how should we be preparing, right? So um, always always sharpening our sword for battle, right? Being um, civis pacum parabellum, right? If you want peace, prepare for war, right? So we're constantly lo longing for peace and preparing for war. So um, I, I don't know. You know, you look at it and it's it, I, I see a lot more of the same, um, which creates tension and, and will create trials, but will also create triumph as well. I think God's going to continue to sift and to separate. I think there are a lot of people who have been sitting on the fence that they're going to continue to get pressured and they're going to have to pee or get off the pot. They're going to go one way or the other. And I think, um, I think we need to be willing to welcome those people in and say, welcome to the fight, right? Here's your sword. Let's get after it. And, um, you know, I'm Andy, nice to meet you. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, right. So I, I think, um, I think there's going to be a continually sifting effect. I think what we can expect though, I think a lot of these, um, smaller churches who have been um, faithful and who, whom God has been blessing, right? This is our story. The thing that's so amazing is our story isn't, isn't unique. You've seen pockets of this where God has been pulling people from one place and, and bringing them to a place where they're going to be fed and um, it has created a refuge for all of these saints. And it's those, a lot of those churches that closed should be closed. We shouldn't mourn over that. They should be closed. They were, they were preaching things that were abhorrent to the Lord and um, they should they should stay that way. So I don't think we should mourn over that. But I think what will happen is, as some of these establishment churches start to feel more of the more of the pinch financially, and start to feel like maybe some of their luster is tarnished, I think they'll probably attack the church. Right? I, I, I attack churches like ours that have done everything in their power to remain faithful and have grown exponentially. I think they're going to say those people are. They're crazy. They're cult leaders, right? Those are things that that I hear. You know, they 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 do not love their neighbor. They they they're um, just promoters of the patriarchy, or they're promoters of patriotism, right? They're just uh, the like whatever they could think of to say to try to demonize you. Like you mentioned, um, Orland just a little bit ago. What a jerk! What an absolute jerk! How unloving is that? Like he puts that out there to be loving and to pander to a particular group of people while you demonize all of those people. All of these Bible believe uh, like the, the Bible Belt people who, um, you know, they, like they, they hear that and they associate that with a pastor they love. They associate that with uh, them going to the church that their grandmother grew up in type thing. And there's deep roots there and they love Jesus. Right. They're not as femi as Orland, but praise God for that. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, so I think these these networks that are going to start and you see it, you see it in Together for the Gospel and you see it in the Gospel Coalition. The things they're publishing, they're starting to change their their um, target a little bit. And they're, they're rebuking. Um, they're starting to try to associate things like uh, theonomy and covenantalism and like a rich political theology. Yeah, they're coming at that. And you go, OK. The reason they're doing that is because they're starting to feel the drift. People are starting to ask them different questions and require more of them. And they're, so, so they're starting to put this stuff out and um, it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, it's not real scholarship, you know? So, um, but I think, I think they're going to, I think the church should be prepared for that. Like there's going to be more infighting. And um, if you rest on the word of God, then we're good, right? That's where we want to have the discussion. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was uh, was talking to a Navy SEAL about this the other day, a Reformed brother, Christian, and uh, he said something that was interesting. He said, well, part of it is you got to understand what generation of warfare we're engaged in, right? It's, it's not kinetic, largely. Um, it's information, information operations. So it, the thing that you've got to realize, I think, is 
as churches, and what you're doing is really smart. This is my background is media, right? I've spent my whole career doing media. And so it was like, okay, so do a podcast, put your message out there. Um, you, you're doing these videos on your YouTube channel, which are, which are great. Matt Truell has really started hitting that hard in the last year and a half. They were doing it before, but even more so now. I think just understanding the moment there and then saying, okay, this is the time to be, start a blog. Like for a lot of pastors, if you haven't, be courageous about it. Start a blog. Treat it in sort of like a professional manner, right? Find the people in your church who can do some, some quality, build you a good website, uh, that sort of thing. Get your, get your messaging out there. And one of the ironies is, I've told people, you can actually take all the weapons of the enemy and turn them against them. And what I mean is, Andrew Torba did it with Gab. Um, I, you know, we're using all this technology that the liberals in California built to teach a message of patriarchy. Thank you. Thank you, Silicon Valley, for allowing us to do that. So I, I tell people all the time, like, view it as plunder. Like, take what the enemy has given you and then go plunder them. And it, it sort of reminds me of Canaan in that sense of, like, wells that you did not dig, you'll be drinking from. And as Christians, we have to have this mindset. So I think a lot of it is information and how we, even, even it doesn't matter if it's a small context or big, but like for you, like, okay, well, my people need to be continually taught on these issues. This is one of the things that's made me probably angrier than most from pastors is there are guys who are on our team. There are guys who are on our side in the last year have not preached one sermon on Romans 13. They have not preached one sermon on masks. They just stay away from it. And I've told a lot of guys, I said, I think it's expositional cowardice. You know, you haven't preached anything that's untrue or unorthodox, but you've totally ignored the biggest issues that are happening in the culture today. So I think, and, and this is my hope too, just as we're able to meet with other pastors and talk with them that like, hopefully other guys in your area will be like, hey, you know what? This guy is, he's being faithful and he's being faithful. This can be an encouragement to me. One of the questions I want to ask you, Andy, because I, I had this discussion with Michael Foster, and I thought it was a pretty good point that he made. When John MacArthur, late in the game, says, we're going to make a stand, there are local pastors here who were like, yeah, thank God for men like John MacArthur. Day one, when I was the guy saying this is wrong, I was getting blasted by the same guy. And I told Michael, I was like, man, it pisses me off. And he said something, he goes, I understand, but we have to set our, our pride aside and we have to rejoice because that is, that is still a strategic victory for us. A lot of the small people with no names were getting destroyed. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And then MacArthur does it and it's like, let's throw a parade for this hero of the faith. And we were, but right, there's something where you gotta, I think, I want to get your take, but you gotta say like, yeah, those those blows suck, but I am it's really for the cause of Christ and that not me. Yeah, I mean if if um we win, right? Then then I can then then I can rejoice and um yeah, so I have a pretty optimistic eschatology. So, um you know, if if yeah, I, I was pretty discouraged on the front end seeing a lot of people with the platform because when you have none, you're like I I don't care. I'm just going I just I want to fight. It's my duty to fight. And Playing with house money here. Yeah, yeah. And they, they have this um, huge platform. And I'm like, why is he silent? But then when he got in the game, I thought, you know what? It, I, 
I can complain about it or I can rejoice in it. Either way, what he might do is he's going to continue to bring a platform to the discussion. It'll, it'll create a further separate, separating. So um, if, if, if that is for the cause of Christ, then praise God, I want to be on the front end of that. And um, But yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying because um, we, we experienced a lot of that and it took so much heat early on when there was no one, right? It was just anger. One of the things that I... Like when you read the Gospels, this is not shocking, but somehow in our suffering and our trials, we we still can be shocked by things that like Jesus told you were going to happen, right? Like persecution, you know it's coming, and then you're like, well, why do these people hate me? Um, One of the ones that I, I feel like I didn't quite see coming was, I can say this with my podcast, I can say it with, you know, people who are faithfully preaching in the moment right now um, to to the issues, whether it's gender, whether it's masks, whatever it is. The most hostile criticisms that I've seen are from other Christians. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I joke around with my wife and with the guys at church all the time. Like, whenever I get an email where somebody prefaces what they're about to say with what a wonderful Christian they are, and then they proceed to, like, blast me, like, I'm a wonderful Christian, and I just want you to know that I'm not bigoted like you, you bigoted moron. It's like, oh, thank you for that. You know, so, um, yeah, we kind of expect it now. Um, and, and honestly, I, you know, by God's grace, I think he's just thickened my skin over the past year to where I can just kind of laugh at that stuff. Um, uh, cause I, it's, it's just so comical. And some of these things, honestly, where we're at, um, as a culture, and we've, we've just done a few satire videos, like, like online regarding, um, oh, uh, racism and those types of things. Not that racism is anything to joke around about, but where we, what we're doing as a culture is is troubling, right? It's so hypocritical. Like you, you almost have to step back and it's like, I'm not bigoted like you, you bigoted moron. Like it's just so painfully obvious that you just have to expose it for what it is and laugh at it. And I, I think there's there's satire can be can be instructive and it can also um start to hack away at the enemy's defenses when you're laughing at him. Right. Because, the, I mean, that was one thing that we, we did a, a Whitler video pretty early that was pretty popular. You know, it was one of those. We got a lot of people were very upset about it. Like, how is that? Is that necessary for a Christian to do? And um, my response to that was, yeah, I mean, the classic, right? Disobe- uh, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to the word of God. If she is doing all of these things, she is completely abusing her authority. And it basically is abrogated her authority at this point because of of what she's done i feel like we have an obligation to laugh in the face of tyrants when that's the only defense that you have yeah i think satire uh i i kind of came across this so i was reading doug wilson uh rules for reformers and then that got me reading i wanted to delve deeper into saul Alinsky's uh rules for radicals and uh yeah Alinsky says one of the most powerful tools for the radical is uh, satire or, you know, this making fun of something, essentially, ridicule. And it really struck me, in the last year, the things that I saw that were most effective were like the Babylon Bee to the, to the point where I was like, why is CNN, they're suing the Bee or threatening to sue? I don't know if they actually did. But it really struck me that okay, you can watch what the enemy is doing and what really pisses them off. And you should see that and you should be like, this is working. So the Babylon Bee, like when you see CNN being pissed off, what did they do? They ran an article and it was like, 
CNN suing Babylon B, claiming that they're the only satire site allowed in the mainstream media. And I was like, oh, they just punched them right back in the mouth, you know? And they didn't, they didn't back down. But I think for the churches, look, the enemy knows that satire is a powerful tool. Uh, one of the, even, even guys like I was thinking of J.P. Sears, you know, the red-haired, long-haired guy. Um, he started his stuff in like veganism and like making fun of vegans. But now, like, somebody red-pilled that guy. You know, he's doing incredible videos just, you know, mocking what's going on in politics, the election, et cetera. Um, it's a very powerful tool. You just have to get over the fact that people are going to be like, that is mean and insensitive. They're going to say that about you anyway. Like, if you, if you start with the premise that they hate your guts, that, then you're good, right? I mean, they, they are going to hate you no matter what. Yeah, isn't that the rub, Andy, where it's like, I just sometimes want to shake the big Eva guys. Like, look, they hate you. They think you're a joke. They're always going to hate you. Get over it and go on from there. Like, I was talking to some inside people as a journalist in, like, the New York Times. And they were, I was like, what do you guys think of, like, Russell Moore and Tim Keller? And they're like, oh, those guys are clowns. Like, they're such sycophants. Like, the elites don't even like you. Nobody likes you. No, but, but they, think, they think that they do. Right, they they think they're being winsome. They think they're they're appealing. They, in their mind, I think that they truly believe this is how you win people to the gospel, not realizing that they've comp- they've compromised it long ago. Right? If if they would would have stood their ground and fought for the sake of the gospel, they maybe might be respected. They're still not going to like you. They're never going to like you. Right? They they hate you. <laughs> that that goes along with the. T- just embrace it, and you don't. That doesn't mean you have to intentionally be a jerk, but it just means that if if you're out to get their approval, you've already lost. There's no way you can win that. You've already conceded the fight. You've already laid down your weapons, and you've you've lost because you need their approval. Yeah, I think that's huge, Andy. One of the things I want to ask you too. I, I found this a struggle. You know, even just something that I have to be attentive to every day. Um, when you wade out into the public space, uh, when you wade out there. One of the things that I found is, and I may be ripping this off from Doug Wilson or somebody, I don't know, probably. Yeah, I think if I quote it twice, like the third time, I don't have to attribute it anymore because I actually, I said it the last time. Um, but one of the things that I really have thought a lot about is on having thick skin, but a tender heart. And it is hard, man, because like when I first started blogging a couple of years ago about these, these issues, just writing on my website, you know, somebody would leave a critical comment and I'd, I'd be like, oh my gosh, and I need to respond and I need to go on there. And now, like I have a Twitter account, I have a Gab account, I have Facebook. I mean, the last time my wife, she was like, have you seen what this person said on there? And I was like, she's like, do you want me to comment? And I said, yeah, just tell them to take a number. Like get in line. Everybody hates it. I don't, I think that's a good thing actually. And we talk about being a hard man. That's one of the ways you're hardened against criticism where a lot of people are going to say like, oh, I don't. I don't want to wade out into that cultural current because I know I'm going to take shots. But actually, just like if you're an MMA fighter, the only way to get your body hard and ready to be in fighting shape is you got to get hit a lot. So you got to spar. That's kind of how I viewed it. So that's kind of the one side of the coin, right? The being hard on the external, having a thick skin. On the other side, it's also important to have a tender heart, meaning you don't just become this abrasive jerk who's always trying to piss people off. I, I guess what I want to share with our listeners, and then I want to ask you, 
one of the ways that I've found to do this is to keep counseling people who are hurting. And the reason I say that is because when I'm counseling like somebody who is just, they're in tears, someone they loved has died, or, you know, whatever the situation is, they're going through a divorce. Immediately, I'm like, wow, I need to be compassionate with those who are brokenhearted. And it gets me out of that mode of like always wanting to pick, pick a fight, you know? I think that's a good thing. Like, this person needs tender mercies right now. And I'm glad that this is opening my eyes to see that. So I want to ask you, how, how do you maintain thick skin but a tender heart? How have you found to do that? Well, I think, I think you have to come to terms with it, right? So um, it's, it's part and parcel of being a man. It just, so at, at, at the Ridge, we talk about um, being tender but having a spine of steel, right? To, to, to be able to stand against the, the, the schemes of man and the wiles of the world and all of these things. I mean, I, it's just part of your life. Right. So you, you think of um, in the home, you have to be tough, but you have to be tender. Now, the, the, the challenge that all men face is knowing where and when and how to do that and to find that balance. Where do you need to stand firm? Where do you need to be gentle? Where do you need to just get down on your knees and, and pray with your child? Right. And, and, and when do they need a spanking? Right. So there's there's this this tension that um, in discipleship in our home and then. Um, in our churches, but I, I think the example that you used is is wonderful because a lot of times we get removed from humanity and all we see is the fight and that yeah that on can, Twitter um, yeah exactly I mean what what you want to do is um, callous your grip so then your hands are getting all tore up when when you work out right or or callous your knuckles so they're not all bloody when you're in a scrap like you, the MMA example that you used right the parts of your body need need to be hardened but if you callous them so much you don't feel anything then then it's time then it's time to pull back right and you need brothers around you to say you know you've been you've been in the fray for a long time and I praise God for that and you're doing something amazing but you, you need to you need to step back a little bit because it's just it's getting to you and you need to get a breather and get away, go spend some time with your kids. I have, I have two sons and three daughters. And I tell you what, that'll, having three daughters will uh, keep your perspective on the world different. Right? You, um, it, it makes you harder maybe than you want to be. And it also makes you way softer than you want to be. You know? So that balance is, is really, really important. I agree hundred percent. Jesus was perfectly tough and perfectly tender. He, like when, when, when he drops the hammer, man, he, he drops it. But um, when he is tender, it, it's, a, it's amazing. When you, when you read um, through those narratives and you think, oh my goodness, as, as a pastorally, right? Suffering with, with people. And yeah, so, so trying to get that balance right, I think is, is key. The problem is we've erred so far in the opposite direction where we've become only tender, right? Big Eva and this, it's, it's squishy so much so that it's not the right kind of tenderness. It's a, it's a, it's a, a it's a facade tenderness. It's almost an act of tenderness. Like I know that I'm supposed to be overly tender. So this is what I'm doing, but it's not genuine. It's not authentic. And you can, I think real men can see through that from, from a mile away. So like when COVID hit, we're like, what, what do we do? And we said, okay, if, if all things being equal, if, if we're, maybe if we're not getting this right, if we're going to err in either direction, we, there, there is, um, we are loving to a fault in the church today, right? It's, it, it, we're so loving, it's hurting us. 
But there isn't a proper degree of, of pendulum swinging back and it's starting to, which is amazing, which is why this podcast is just absolutely amazing and, and so needed right now. But there isn't, there aren't an in, in equal and opposite um, amount of people just standing firm, right? So if we're going to err in either direction, if we're not getting this right, that's where we want to err. Because you, you, we were discerning the times going, okay, this is a situation where you need to stand, right? So I, I think that's just trying to always get that balance. And, and, you know, as men, we don't always get it right, but you strive for that ideal. So um, I, I agree with what you said 100%. And it's, it's a lifetime journey and, and struggle. And it's a burden and a blessing at the same time. Yeah, I think that's huge. And, and also just like you said, having people who know you well, having people who can speak that into your life, um, but also understanding the cultural moment that, look, the, the, the problem with the church right now is not that there's just so many hard guys running around, you know, being manly. Um, and, and even on the judgment side, um, we've typically erred on, again, being squishy. I want to ask a, a few last things and then we'll wrap this up. Um, first of all, just your interest in masculinity. One of the things I always ask people, because I've been asked this before and I always found it's, it's very interesting. Um, I just have met so many guys who are, they really grew up in fatherless environments. And so that's kind of what drives the interest in masculinity and fatherhood. And a lot of us are learning it for the first time. So I'm just curious your background. Do you have any idea what piqued the interest in those subjects? Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to understand the fatherhood of God. I, I mean, uh, so, so I grew up as, as a pagan that was, and I excelled at sinning, right? That was the only thing I was very, very good at. I mean, I was a, a varsity level sinner and reveled in my sin and enjoyed it. I didn't know my father. My father left when I was, was very young. My mother got remarried and I have a wonderful relationship with my stepfather now, but growing up was, it was unpleasant. You feel like you just don't know where you fit in the world. There's no, there's no tribe to be initiated and it's, it's broken. Fast forwarding to, to, to my conversion, my, my wife and I made a profession of faith October 31st. It was probably about 17 years ago now, which is, which is amazing. So God has been very, very kind to us in every way, turned our world upside down and right side up. But so, so we um, said, I do within three months, um, by God's grace, he saved the both of us. So now we're married and we're Christian and we're going, how, how do we do this? Like, I don't, not only do I not know how to be a husband and a Christian one, I don't even know how to be a man. Like I've never had anybody talk to me about that. And, and then uh, nine months later, God says, here's a baby. Um, you know, and then they just kept coming, right? They, they kept this should make it every, easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every two years, it'll just get easier. If I have more, right. It's, it was a, I had the mentality of the government. If I just continue to have more then then I'll figure it out. So, um, so yeah, along that process and, and kind of, um, coming to terms with all of the baggage of my past and, and how I interpreted the, the fatherhood of God through some of that baggage I, were, were just things that just layers that the Lord needed to peel away. And I need, I was a, a stubborn person that needed to be hammered on for a long time by the Lord. And I'm thankful for his, for his discipline. And uh, by God's grace, he's, he brought a lot of really good authors into my life, right? Like Wilson has been huge for me. I'm so thankful for that man and his ministry. And, um, you know, guys like Bodie Bauckham, it have been very helpful. And there are a lot of other ones that I'm forgetting to name. And I, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, 
good people out there that have been very helpful for me. And as, as the Lord has done that, he's brought men around me to kind of help shape and direct and guide them. Um, so that's kind of put that burden upon my heart. And it, it's part and parcel of, um, you, you can't get a, even a couple chapters into the scriptures without going, okay, there, there's a dynamic and a relationship here that is covenantal and is reflective of the character of God. And that is going to set the trajectory for everything else in your life, self-governance, family governance, church governance, uh, civil governance, and all, all of these things. So um, I, I don't know if it was um, Cartesian moments where I, you know, I, I just got it. I think it was just a period of going, just a period of fear. First of all, I don't know how to do this. And I'm terrified to, this is what I desperately long for. How can I get my home in order? And then how can I pursue that for the rest of my life? Because after my kids are grown, they will have kids of their own. And, and by God's grace, I'll see their, their children's children. And um, I, I hope to God that I'm able to take this deposit that he has given to me and, and leave it behind better to my children. And they can do that for their children and they can do that for their children. And, and I hope that I can, I can be helpful to the guys um, at the Ridge that have similar experiences that are going through the same things that have said, these are things that we desperately long for, but we don't know where to go. Right. So, so that's why I'm so thankful for podcasts like this. Cause it's, it's, it's given guys that are longing for that. It's given them encouragement to know they're not alone. This is actually a good and godly desire. And there are other guys out there who can direct you. No, that, that's awesome. Um, the other thing I want to ask you pastorally is um, there's been a lot of good content. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's, a, there's some good outlets for men. Um, I can think of It's Good to Be a Man. Canon Press has done some really good stuff. For women, I have a harder time pinpointing because and i think part of it correct me if i'm wrong but like we had the beth moores for so long that everybody's like oh they're great no and i used to back in the day i was like i don't think her view of scripture is good and this is before we knew anything was gonna be what it is today um obviously that's all blown up and so now of course i would not recommend a lot of the women who are prominent teachers are there people that you would point people to on the women's side um, I, I think the first place I would go would probably be the, the Canon Press gals. I mean, they're, they're amazing, right? Rachel Jankovic, um, has got a lot of, a lot of really, really good stuff. Um, all of those women are, are really solid, but I, I, you know, I, you were saying that I'm like, man, a hundred percent, but, but I think what's happening and I think this is to be expected, right? So there's this resurgence of, of godly masculinity and that should precede a resurgence of godly femininity right so 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 i think right it, it, it so it makes sense that we're seeing what we're seeing and i think over time that vacuum will be filled but right now like the the women in our church i would turn them to like if they're looking for literature i would look i would send them to anything by canon press because i know it's safe and i've read it and it's, it's good stuff right um my wife and i have I've read some of this stuff together and it's 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 really really good but there there is a vacuum and i think if we're patient by god's grace he will fill that vacuum with with godly women but right now um it's the 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 toilet's been flushed hopefully on on a lot of those women that are just nuts well it's interesting because a lot of it is um i've kind of seen two things on the women front a they're like beth moore b they're i guess three things so b they're sort of in like just they're outright pagans you know rachel hollis or whatever 
But the other one that I've really noticed is oh, there are some people who are teaching good things, but I sort of cringe when I hear people recommending like Debbie Pearl because some, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but a lot of their stuff is good, but they can also have some teachings that really aren't scriptural. And then they get into the, we, we've interfaced with some of these churches. This was true of like the Doug Phillips movement where you'd go to a church and like the pastor's wife is calling women aside because they're like, honey, anyone who doesn't wear a skirt is a whore and you have jeans on. So you're a whore. And you're like, okay, let's hyper patriarchy people. Let's calm down. I don't really want to send them in that direction. And I don't, I don't know. Do you guys see that at all? Any of the hyper patriarchy stuff you ever interface with it? Um, not, not so much to be entirely honest with you. It hasn't, that hasn't come up. The other side of it has come up. The, the Beth Moore stuff and the, the, the just the, the mushy, mushy women's ministry. I mean, women's ministry in most churches is like an embarrassingly large turd that needs to be flushed. It's just bad news. <laughs> Dude. Right? And, I and know. Most... I mean, what was the... Jen Wilkins. I remember like watching... Jen Wilkins. That's her name. That's her name. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the other side of it. Like, she wants to be a pastor so bad, you can just see it coming out of her, and it's embarrassing. Oh, dude. And, like, she had that that one talk where she was like, men can't pastor women because only people who menstruate can really pastor women. And I was like... And then she goes on to talk about, like, how menstruation is, like, a picture of the gospel. And I'm like, dude, this... I would, I'm embarrassed just watching it now in the privacy of my office. Like... You know, God forbid you would actually, you know, recommend that or people, but then, the, you know, people are listening to this. Um, so it's got to be addressed. And I know you've got daughters. So um, I, I think just for other fathers in the church, I get this question all the time. Like, well, okay, what do you recommend for the women? Um, and hopefully God will raise up some, some better outlets. Of course, I'm the same. I would recommend, you know, Doug's wife even has a good uh, Femina. That's a good podcast. My wife likes that. Yeah, that's right. They've been doing it a long time. I think it's good to have people and voices who are stable and like, you know, Doug, you can love him or hate him, but Doug's not a flash in the pan. He didn't start teaching last year. Um, this stuff has kind of stood the test of time. So I think that's really good. 100%. And I think we need to be careful too that we don't make, um, that we're not so reductionistic regarding what, what women can read and what women can listen to. And what, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that like... Uh, things that we're listening to that they can listen to and benefit from or that you can listen to together and, and work through. Um, I mean, I, I, I think there there are stuff that that is geared to men that is very helpful and there can be stuff that is geared to women that can be very helpful. But I think that's part of the, the, the problem that we've gotten into where if, if something is anything that's more emotive and uh, flowery and fluffy and just mushy, then that's for the women. But everything else is for the men. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's part of the problem right yeah it comes back to i think like you were talking about you know even like things like family integrated worship and the idea that everything has to be broken down into segments people always have to be separated out it's amazing because i've actually found this a lot with pastoral counseling where a lot of women think oh i need a a soft nurturing woman to scold my husband in a counseling session and it's like newsflash that's not going to work but what i have found it's very interesting if you will speak plainly and di directly to women, especially if, if it's a godly woman, they end up appreciating it. And so, yeah, this kind of gets back to the thing of, oh, be in worship, you know, teach the men how to do family worship. 
have access to these resources. Don't be afraid to, I mean, I let my 13 year old son, like we listened to Michael Foster together and, you know, he'll tell me, he's like, wow, that was really plain and helpful and direct and, you know, great. You know, so a woman could listen to it just the same. It would be, it would be fine. We don't have to, we don't have to parse it all out. I think it does anticipate that pastors like yourself, like you have to preach to women too. You have to preach to women's sins, their issues, right? Yeah, sin is sin. What I, what I found is that if if like like when I preach, I generally preach like I'm speaking right now. Maybe not as colorfully, but um, I, I I preach like I'm preaching to an audience of men. And what I've discovered is that if if you preach that way, women are generally, if nothing, that most of the time they're thankful for it, and if nothing else, it creates opportunity for a lot of conversation at home. But but men will eat it up, and when they eat it up. They're digesting that then for their home. If, if you reverse that and you try to be overly sensitive because that's the Christian thing to do. And because if you, and because you think that if you're not that way, you'll offend the women. What ends up happening is you drive every single man out of that church because they don't want to be a, like, they don't want to be told that in order to be at church, you have to be a woman. Right. So and what will happen is you think you're catering to the women, but they end up not respecting you and then end up passively aggressively leading your church, even though they don't have a title. That's so crazy. It's true, though. Yeah, 100 percent. So um, I would just encourage men to, sp to speak to men. And I, I think, like you said, if, if it's straightforward and you're cutting straight, I think women will appreciate it. I, I, I really think they will. Yeah, that, that's really huge. Well, Andy, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. And I just want to ask you best places for people uh, to check out. We'll include these in the show notes, but uh, I'm guessing YouTube, website, anywhere else that you would. YouTube and Facebook are probably the most um, trafficked right now. We're always kind of concerned that we're going to get kicked off of both because I, th I get banned every other week. <laughs> How's your MySpace page going? You still keeping that up? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, nope, not, uh, nope, not there. Not no there. MySpace. We, we, Instagram and Gab, um, we're working, we're working on it, getting beefing those up, and then by God's grace, we'll continue to expand that because we're always concerned that um, we get more complaints uh, lodged against us every other week. I can't tell you how many people report us for hate speech on on Facebook. Is it quite a bit? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's it's quite a bit, which is good. It means I'm doing my job. So, um, yeah, probably Facebook, YouTube, and. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be wonderful. The the greatest compliment you can pay us is to um, watch and share our content. So we're always thankful for that. And uh, just thank you for having me on. I so appreciate it. This is so cool, and I'm so thankful for what you're doing. And um, the guys at church love you. We want to be an encouragement to you. We pray for you, and I would just encourage everybody that's listening to you to do the same because um, I think it's just it's just wonderful. It keeps you going, knowing that you have an army behind you keeps you moving forward. Yeah, so awesome. I appreciate that, Andy, so much. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Guys, check out Andy Parker, Pastor Andy Parker. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes where you can check out his YouTube channel and his website. Andy, thanks again. And uh, we will uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll be sharing your videos, too. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. And again, a special thanks to Pastor Andy Parker at the Ridge Church outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
We will include in the show notes links where you can follow along with Andy's ministry, including some of the videos he's put out on YouTube. I would encourage you to check those out. They're really, really helpful. As always, a special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and those who are supporting through the membership via the ericcon.com website. We really appreciate your support. It helps go a long way to furthering the work that we're doing here. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.